Uh, last week, who was here? Raise your hands. If you were here last week, give us a wave. Pastor David Wright shared an amazing word, didn't he? Around five, uh, five rocks, I suppose, that, that we just stand upon. Uh, for me, it was a timely word. For me, it was, uh, it was one of those amazing things. You know, you give this advice to people all the time. You're praying with them. You're encouraging them. You're, you're reminding them who they are. And uh, they take it and they're encouraged. But then you go home and you don't remember those words of advice yourself. And you feel a little bit discouraged or you feel a little bit isolated. Who can actually relate to what I'm saying? We're all, you don't have to be a pastor to relate to that. Because God gives us wisdom in moments where we can share these truths with people. Yep. So um, it was just one of those timely reminders. And I think a timely word for the church. Would you agree? Yes. Yep. So Pastor Dave shared on five uh, rocks, I suppose. We'll go through these really quickly. I might get one of these wrong, but it doesn't matter because you get the importance. He shared that we're a child of God. God lifted us up out of the miry clay and he set us upon the rock, Jesus Christ. And there's five things that will help us to remain focused and not playing around in the bog hole. That's what he said, wasn't it? We remember we're a child of God. We're not drawn to the bog hole. We're drawn to God. If we remember that we're chosen by God, that was another one of his points. We're chosen by God. You know, when you're chosen to do something, what did he say? You're chosen. There's, there's, a, there's this, this importance that reminds you who you are. Lastly, thirdly, that we're adopted by God. That one might be the one I got wrong. I don't know. But it's truth anyway. It's truth. We are adopted by God, that we're brought into his family, that we find purpose in God. And lastly, that future is in God. We find a future, a hope <clears throat> that God has given us a future. These are five truths that are important to establish us in our faith. Remembering that it was Christ who lifted us up and placed us upon the solid rock. Amen. So today I sort of want to draw a little bit from the same pattern. The title of mine is Five Smooth Stones. Um, I want to speak about not only the establishment of our faith, but once our faith is set, there are five things that will help us overcome our insecurities. Because uh, insecurity, it sort of attacks us all. We're not all immune at all to insecurity. You might think that you're the most faith-filled, per most faith-filled person, that you've overcome all of your insecurities, but then sometime, something comes along and all of a sudden you feel insecure about something or you feel like anxiety is rising up in you. And... Uh, We've got to remember that there are, there are things that will help us to remain secure in who we are. Knowing that we are saved and then moving to a place where God will use us are two very different things. Knowing that we are saved by grace, but then moving our thinking to believe that God will use us to save others, they're actually two different mindsets. That we need to actually posis position ourselves so that the bog doesn't look enticing uh, or is, is part of the thinking as we move forward in Christ. Amen? I could, I could go and wallow around in the mud all the time I want and get mud on my feet and mud on my hands, and mud on my, but, but I'm not being effective in who God's called me to be. I don't find my purpose in the mud. I find my purpose upon the rock that Jesus has set us in. Okay? So as we think about this, Thinking about our security in Christ, thinking about our faith in Christ. I want to look at some of this stuff today. It's important to hear now 
that our faith is important and so too is our security. And moving from the first thinking, which was I'm secure in Christ, I'm, my faith is set to there's a purpose for me in Christ is like moving from A to B. Does that make sense? Yep. And uh, that's sort of the purpose of where we, we're kind of going. Five smooth stones. It says up there in my first scripture, 1 Peter 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That's that thinking of the bog, the, the mire, the clay that so easily ensnares us. It's the thinking of the, the, the human nature, that which we actually crucified when we were baptized into the fold. We're dead, are we not? So we're saying here, uh, Peter's saying here that since you, in Christ you have suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. If you've already suffered in the flesh, then you've ceased from sin. All right? That's hard thinking. But when we suffered in the flesh, what does that look like? What does it mean? What is it to you to suffer in the flesh? Well, it means to not do the things that you like to do. The things that capture you and get you caught. Those sorts of things. And I want to look at this as we're moving forward, knowing we will suffer, knowing we will find opposition in the journey. But we are moving into the fullness of God's will for us. Leaving behind the sinful past and looking forward to the journey that God has set before us. The next scripture says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You see, Peter's talking here really, really quickly. He's talking here about humbling ourselves under God. Because in, when we humble ourselves to God, He will lift up. He will restore. He will empower and He will equip us. <clears throat> A little story just to lead us in. I was about 12 years old, 11 or 12 years old, when I started playing rugby league. So we've had rugby this morning, now we're going to have rugby league. Um, isn't it funny? I was about 11 years old. My friends came around. I was a soccer player. I hated soccer with a passion. Rodney not, Rodney's not here, so I can say that. I hated it with a passion. I played it for about six years, and, and I was never any good at it. I was like the chubby kid that is stuck down in the back left-hand corner, and I couldn't even get over to the goals to defend it. There was one year I got to play goalkeeper because I was chubby, so maybe a little bit of my chub would have stopped the ball from going through the ball. Um, I remember my coach working with me and he was kneeling down on all fours and I had to jump over him to try and make the dives to save the ball. Uh, in those moments, I thank God I had some padding because the goals were a bit hard. And, uh, but 
I hated soccer with a passion. And because I was chubby, my friends said, you know, like, you could probably play rugby league with us. And they'd been playing for years. So I was about, I think it was either year six or year seven. I can't remember exactly, but I know I was 12. I played under 12s my first year of rugby league. We played a couple of knockouts that year and we played, uh, we played our, our own team a couple of times because there wasn't a lot around when you're in the juniors. Uh, we had this one guy in our team who, who, who's played footy. Here's a wave. He's, yep. So you play. We had this one guy in our team who was like a giant. He was massive. Even for a 12-year-old, he was a big guy. He was about 20 kilos on me, but he was fast. He was heavy. He was strong. He had a brother who played in the seniors. I think he played for the Ender Blue Heelers. And uh, I think he did go away to Sydney and play um, some of the footy up there in Sydney. He didn't quite make the, the ARL at the time, but um, he did play in the lower grades. He came back and he taught him how to play footy. He was a had great ball handling skills and things like that. And this guy was like, every time he played, he'd score three or four tries. You know that kid? There's a video of that kid um, playing rugby league, isn't there? He was about nine years old and he just runs through everyone and he's just scoring tries. This guy was like, we became friends really, really quickly. But he lived in Yenda, so we went to different high schools. And this was back in the days when we used to play inner school sports between Wade High and Griffith High. In year seven, uh, I'm lining up. Uh, for, we, we played another season together in the middle of winter. Uh, we were friends. I don't know. I, I always had this weird thinking. I didn't want to hurt my friends because they were in my team on the weekend. So I, didn't wanna actually, I felt like I didn't go in really hard in some of those games that you're playing your own friends. And there was this one game. I'm like, I'm the biggest kid in the Griffith High jersey, but this guy is massive over me. And there was this one game, we played this inner school sports, and it was year seven, and we've come running out, and it was at our school, and uh, this guy, in the first 10 minutes, put two tries on us. He just like, bang, we just couldn't put him down. He just couldn't tackle him, don't know what was going on. We just weren't playing as a team. And he, you know that arrogance that they get because they know that they've got you? It was one of those kind of moments. He was kind of parading himself around. Like, we'll just get the ball to John. He'll be all right. Saundo's going to win this one. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be okay. We'll go home as the champions of the day. And I'm like, that just didn't sit right. It just didn't feel right. And uh, I remember we, we finally got the ball and, and we'd, made, we'd made some inroads and, and I got smashed in a tackle. And, and, um, and then we kicked the ball dead. And uh, so they got this... They got this 20-meter uh, tap, and this guy, he's so deep. He's like back behind the try line, ready to hit this ball up. And you, could, you know like the guys that are foaming at the mouth, and it's just got red in their eyes? He was like this, and he's just steaming. And I, I'm the biggest guy on our team, and he's looking straight at me. Randy, I'm coming at you. And I'm like, oh, and I started to pack it. This is like, I don't know what I'm going to do here. And then I heard from the sideline, this guy who was a senior, he was in my older brother's year at school. He was in year 11, but my brother left in year 10. And he was kind of like my brother's, they had an on-again, off-again relationship. One week they'd have a fight. The next week they were friends. And, and funny, God's funny because God put them together to work together for a number of years. It was hilarious. And they, got, they became really good friends. But uh, I can remember him from the sideline. He's like, come on, Randy, he's yours. And I'm like, oh, now I'm being called out in front of the whole school. 
oh, this is not cool. And I'm like, something rose up in me. Who's been here? You've you got this giant about to run at you. And you're like, oh, it's on me. And I've never tackled this guy, even at training. Like, he's massive. And I'm like, oh, well, it's on now. And he's come bore onto this ball and he's hit the ad line. The, the timing was precise. But I hit him about three meters from the ad line. Like, I was up quick because my name was called. I was out the front for the first time in the defensive line ever. And I've just lined him up and I've hit him with everything I've had. Hit him up under the ribs and I actually lifted him for the first time ever. I'm like, this is a win. And by that time, I'm like, now what's he going to do? Is he going to offload the ball? And he didn't. What he did was my friends came in and we picked him up. We didn't put him on the ground because he was too big. Right? <laughs> he was just big. But he dropped the ball. He tried to unload it and he dropped the ball. And we got the ball. And after about four plays later, we scored a try. This guy, this giant, you can imagine what he was like after that. I'll let you think about that for a moment. This, this, this funny story, you know, I was like cheering and, and I could hear Daryl from the sideline, yeah, Randy, you got him, you were all over him now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> got back in the line, they kicked off to me and I got smashed the very next tackle. Yeah, anyway. It was hilarious. It reminds me of a story in the, New, in the Old Testament, one filthy Philistine. His name's Goliath. We all have giants in our lives, do we not? Yeah. Uh, one very notorious story is that of David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17. Samuel uh, records that David, he was not yet king. He was still a youth. He was still this like ruddy little kid. And uh, his dad, he sends him to the front line to go and inquire of his brothers. He's got three brothers in the war. He's got three brothers who are sitting there and they're like, you know, they're warriors. I remember the story when David was anointed. It was his first brother that came out and he was like glorious. He was massive. But David was this ruddy little shepherd. <clears throat> Encamped outside Judah, the Philistines were taunting the armies of Saul. One in particular, a nine foot nine inch giant, 2.97 centimeters tall, so he's nearly three meters tall. This guy's a big guy and he's from Gath. Verse 4 in 1 Samuel 17 tells us that he was the champion among the Philistines. Now, these guys were warriors, these guys liked to fight, and uh, he was the champion amongst them. Well, why wouldn't you be being three meters tall? And verse 33, Saul describes him as a man of war in comparison to this ruddy little youth, David. It talks of his coat of mail, this coat made of bronze. Some translations might say copper, but this, this coat of mail, it says that it was 5,000 shekels in weight. Now I did some conversions. 57 kilos of bronze was strapped to this guy as a chain, as a suit of armor. 57 kilos. Who's 57 kilos here? Who's going to tell us your weight? Yeah? Okay, Jamie. Nah, about half of Jamie was strapped onto this guy, all right? <laughs> Think about that. <clears throat> he had a bronze helmet, a bronze, uh, bronze leg guards, and a massive javelin. The Bible mentions this javelin that was strapped to his back. Why? Because it says that this javelin was a whopping 6.84 kilos 
the spearhead. 6.84 kilos. What's that? That's like Zoe, maybe. Yeah, there we go. I'm pretty close. She's about seven-ish kilos. So Zoe coming at you. As this guy launched his javelin. Like, this guy was huge. We all have giants in our lives that cause us to go back into insecurity. What Goliath seemed to do in this story uh, was that he took the focus. His commanding stature had the armies of God, the armies of Saul, uh, even Saul himself as their king, to look to man and not to God. This is the mistake that Saul made. He heard this Philistine taunting his armies and he did not rise up to go and challenge this man. Now, as a king back in those days, if you were a warrior king, that would have been your call. Remember the Bible describes Saul as this big dude, handsome, struck, like well-built guy. But yet Saul was a little bit of a coward in this moment. That's what the giants do to us. They kind of make us cower in our own insecurities. This is the ploy of our enemy. Anytime he can distract us and take our focus off God and who God has empowered us to be, then he's actually winning at his task. He's winning that little battle, that little thing. And we're giving him the chance to do that because we're listening to his taunts. We're listening to his voice. You know, it's all right to go around and dig around in the mud again. It's okay to do that. Why? Because, ah, it feeds your insecurity. Okay, makes me feel good. I'll do it. It's his role to make you insecure by feeding you lies. This is what I felt that day on the footy field. I could hear their team laughing any time we kicked off because we didn't have an answer to their giant. We couldn't tackle him. We couldn't put him on the ground. And every time they, we kicked off, he was set deep and could run and he'd make 60, 80 meters. Sometimes he'd just score. Like I said, he'd put two tries on us. I felt like this. I felt like this ruddy guy who was insecure and couldn't do anything on that footy field. It's sort of been like the journey of my Christian life as well. There's been moments in my walk where I felt like this little guy who can't do anything because my enemy is so massive. That's insecurity talking. And I'm, and I'm sure I'm te- speaking to some here that, that struggle with the same thing. So like I said earlier, I'd put this guy, we'd, we'd, we'd hit him, we'd knocked him, kind of he'd knock the ball on and we'd put a try on him. The very next time he ran the ball, I hit him again. The next time he ran the ball, I hit him again. The next time I, he ran the ball, I hit him again. I was like a terrier on a Dane, you know, like you ever seen a dog just like, rah, rah, rah. I was just like that. For the, for the first time ever, I believed that I could knock this guy over. And I think it was the third time I hit him, I knocked him over on my own. You know, you just got to keep going. You just got to keep going. This guy, he ended up limping off the field, losers, because we won that game. You know, it's, it's a funny story, and you think, oh, you're a 13-year-old kid. How do you remember that? Well, I remember it because it was significant in my journey. We've all got giants we've got to knock over. And this was one in the natural, but there's spiritual giants that we have to knock over. I want to talk about that giant that we seem to let get a voice a little bit. 
But I don't want to talk about him to lift him up. I want to talk about him to show him who he is. Because little, little under 2,000 years ago, he was put back in his place when Jesus Christ hung there on a cross and he declared it is finished. You see, this roaring lion that I mentioned that roams around seeking whom he may devour is already defeated. It's just snot and bubbles. He's just foaming at the mouth. It's, he's got no power. And the moment you knock him on his backside is the moment that his tail goes between his legs and he leaves you alone. It's the same, it was the same in that footy game. From running at every set of six, this guy tired out. He went off on the bench. He came back on and he probably had to run every four or five sets because he knew he couldn't do anything else anymore because we'd overcome our fears. So we've got to overcome our fears. We've got to knock these guys on the ground, not based upon our strength, not based upon the courage that we think we have, but based upon that cross where Jesus said it is finished. It's a cross where Jesus won a victory that we get the privilege to work out now. Who's the giant in your life? What's he saying? What's he doing to stop you? He's got no power. He can't stop you. He can no, by no means stop you in any way. I think I've got some scripture up here. Five things that helped David to see God was not the giant. This is what I'm going to finish with today. Five things that helped David notice that he was a representative of God and not just of Israel. Are you a representative of God? Do you carry the lifeblood of Christ Jesus through you? Have you got the seal of the Holy Spirit in your life? Did you listen last week when you heard the words that you are chosen, you are holy, you are redeemed, you have a purpose, God has a plan for your life? If you'd listened and you would think about those words and it would draw your focus away from the muck, imagine what your life can become as you stand up to that giant in your life and you become secure in who you are and not insecure in what you're not. 1 Samuel 17:26b says, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 38 and 40 says, Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go. For he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these. I want to pause there before I read that again. Many of us are trying on armor that is not ours. We're trying to put on someone else's victories and carry them into a war that we were never meant to go into with that thing. We've got to discover our uniqueness in Jesus. We've got to discover that God has a plan and in that plan He is purposed and gifted and talented, given us talents and His gift never actually fails if we begin to stand up with who we are. You see, David puts on this armor of Saul's and he'd been a lot smaller than Saul was, could not wear it. I can't take this because I have not tested it. Sometimes the armor that we carry needs a testing in the life. You don't know if you can use it Unless you've used it. You see, armor needs to fit you. 
like a glove, like a hand in a glove. It can't be cumbersome. It can't be, it can't be something that sets us apart in a sense that we cannot move and we cannot run and we cannot lift our arm to strike. David knew in this moment he could not take this armor because it was not tested. So David put them off, verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in hand and he approached the Philistine. 1 Samuel 17, 45 says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, big javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So your enemy comes to you roaring with teeth gnashing to try and make you insecure. But you come to him with Jesus on your side. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. There's a big difference. You can stand confident against your giants and defeat them because of who is on your side. My first stone. David knew he was who he was and he knew whose he was. He was the anointed of God. David was anointed king. Samuel had come down and put oil upon him and said, you're going to be the next king of Israel. Samuel was no regular guy. He was a prophet of God. He spoke on behalf of God. The words that he gave to David were prophetic David was chosen above all others to be the next king of Israel. Chronicles 16.13, Samuel takes a horn of oil and anoints David. The result, it says in that, is that the Spirit of God came upon him. From that moment. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. When the Holy Spirit came upon you, you were anointed a son and a daughter of God. That is not insignificant. 2 Colossians 1.21. I know Paul's talking about himself here, but it says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. In saying that about himself, is he not also saying that about you? Is this not who you are? That God has put his seal upon you. He's anointing upon you. David, in knowing who he was, also knew that he wasn't Saul. He knew he didn't have to take Saul's armor in, but he had to be who God had called him to be. Within the anointing comes the assurance that you have been set apart for God. David had not yet become king, therefore he was assured he could not die against that giant. The prophetic voice of God compelled him to go. What has God said of you? What is yet to be fulfilled in your life that the giants against you are trying to distract you from? 
We are called to rise into the fullness of God's calling on our life. In the ch- being chosen, in being anointed in the Holy Spirit to rise up and go. There are prophetic words that are over your, vo- your life that have not yet come into existence. And if you've been waiting for a long time, maybe you've been listening to the wrong voice. Maybe it's the voice of God that wants to remind you you were chosen, you were righteous and redeemed, and God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You need to know who you are and whose you are. You belong to God. The second one is your experience in God. David's experience actually prepared the way. So I want to ask you a question. What is your experience in God? And before you get all all, all up at me and say, don't trust your experience, let me, you've got to hear this out. What is your experience in God? How did you come to salvation? What is your testimony? What has God saved you from? There are many good experiences that I personally have had in Christ that have shaped me to be who I am today. For David, it's this experience that prepared him to fight the giant of Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, 32, 37. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hands of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Isn't it interesting that David knew what he was saying? And there was a conviction in his heart because of the experience that he had. And Saul could not argue with his experience. I have killed both lion and bear. I have saved the sheep. And this filthy Philistine is but one of them. Isn't it funny how God's armies were like also his flock of sheep? And David saw this. He saw them as sheep, almost ready for the slaughter, who could not go up against this wolf, this lion, this bear. And he knew as the shepherd, he had to go and do it. Revelations 12, 11, if you want to turn there really quickly. It says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimonies. You see, Jesus spilled his blood that we can have victory over sin. And he's given you an experience in the Holy Spirit so that you can overcome the enemy, the giant in your life. The third thing David did was worship God. How's your life in worship? 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. David come to the understanding many nights under those stars as he reflected upon the goodness of God, as he reflected upon the mercies of God, as he wrote songs, hymns, psalms, as he wrote of the goodness of God, he worshipped. You see, this is a smooth stone that was in David's pouch, was this worship. In both Hebrew and Greek, there are two categories of the words for worship. The first is about body language. It is the sense of being prostrate before our God. It is what we do on a Sunday morning when we come and we uplift Him in song. It is our lifting up of hands and surrendering our all to God, which is what David would have done as he danced, as he sang, as he played to God in those nighttime hours. But the second part of it, of worship, is about doing something for God. It's about demonstrating our sacrifice and our obedience our offering, our service to God. And you see, as David worshipped in song, it prepared him to sacrifice and serve in the flesh. And he stood before that Philistine and he's like, which stone am I going to use today? You've come against the Lord's army and I reckon it was probably a stone of worship that reminded him who he was in God. And he pulls that stone out and he lets that go. And it sinks and it hits right in the middle of the forehead and knocks that giant over. His worship, a couple more to finish. David's in 